Good evening. Uh, we certainly appreciate all those who are joining us via uh, the internet, Zoom, and, and uh, YouTube, and the various outlets, and I'm certainly thankful for those who have joined us here, uh, in, and we are thankful and appreciate you all for being here with us on, on tonight. Those are the Newport News congregation who are here in the audience. Um, it's just something about coming face to face. You know, people have had to come face to face with their situations. Um, sometimes people meet and talk things out face to face. And you think about all of the media outlets that we have today, um, you know, it's interesting how some people can utilize those media outlets to avoid coming face to face. And yet there are people who will tell you that they don't want to talk on the phone. They don't want to, they don't want to text. They don't want to email. You know, sometimes a situation you feel warrants coming face to face because people want to see your eyes. They want to see your body language. They, they want to see, they want to feel you, uh, um, especially when you're talking about something of great importance or maybe something that is difficult, maybe something that is controversial. You want to straighten that thing out and sometimes you feel the best thing to do is let's come face to face and, and let's talk this out. Uh, there are instances when people have become bold and daring in saying something about people when they're not present. And, and you know, there are some folks who are confrontational. I remember when we were growing up, you often heard uh, people would come, a crowd would gather and folks would, someone would come up and approach a person and say, I heard what you said about me behind my back, but now say it to my face. And it's about that time that person feels that, oh no, they've been misunderstood. And, and, and they certainly didn't mean the way someone may have conveyed that to them. Uh, it's more difficult to say something to a person when they're standing face on uh, than when they were not present. You think about the apostle Paul, he was kind of accused of this. Paul was accused of being bold and daring and dynamic strong in his writings and his letters, but not face to face, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. And you think about the chief priests as they went to Felix and wanted Paul condemned to death. But Felix told them that according to Roman law, we don't put a man to death unless that man has a chance to face those who accused him and, and, and accept he has an opportunity to do that face to face, Acts chapter 25, verses 15 and 16. And then you think about Paul as he approached Peter on that occasion that we find in scripture for us in Galatians chapter two, beginning at verse number 11, when, a, when Paul said that he had to withstand Peter to the face, he said, because he was the one who was to be blamed. Uh, another version of that says that I told him face to face that he was wrong. And so we still, we realize that Paul was willing to confront Peter face to face and let him know that what he was doing was not right. John wrote to the church and revealed that he had many things to say, but he said he was not going to do it with ink and pen. He was not going to write. He says, but when he come, he would speak to them face to face, 3 John 14. And part of the problem that he was going to address was that man named Diotrephes who he said has spoken against them with malicious words, was one of those who was not receiving the brethren and was even 
putting folks out of the church. And he said, when I come, I'm going to remember his deeds. In other words, he was saying, when I see him face to face, then we'll settle the matter. What I want to talk to you about tonight for your consideration is not coming face to face with your situation, not coming face to face with another individual. Tonight, I want to talk about face to face with the gospel. How will you respond when you come face to face with the gospel? Now, the first thing you might notice is there were many reactions. There were many negative reactions. Think about this. In Acts chapter 5, we have the gospel being presented in front of the Sanhedrin. And the question I would ask is, why couldn't they receive it? Why, why couldn't these individuals receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because when they were face to face with the truth, what truth? We're talking about the truth regarding the resurrected Savior. They came face to face with the truth regarding Jesus being resurrected and their evil deeds toward him. You remember in Acts chapter 2 when the first gospel sermon was preached, Peter was standing there and Peter was preaching that sermon and he says, ye with wicked hands have taken and have slain. Well, Peter was talking about the fact that they used the wicked hands of the Romans to end up putting to death the Christ. And now he is confronting them face to face with this resurrected Savior. He didn't stay in that tomb. He rose the third day. And now he is on high. And as they presented this resurrected Savior and their evil deeds toward them, the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse number 33, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And then they saw the plan whereby they would end up putting the disciples to death. That word cut is the Greek word diaprio. And that word means to saw asunder. So literally when they came face to face with the gospel, it was as if they were being sawn in half. That was the reaction they had to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And amid the blood of Jesus Christ being placed upon them, they were also planning to take the blood of the apostles. These individuals were saying they were not guilty of what they were being accused of regarding Christ, but yet here they were planning to take away the lives of the disciples. My question to you is this, how would you receive it if someone confronted you with your evil? You see, many people would deny that they had done anything evil. Isn't that interesting that when we use words like evil and we lose, use words like wickedness, somehow that does not apply to you. Even though you may have done evil, even though you may have done wickedly, yet when someone comes and confronts you face to face with your evil and with your wickedness, what would you do? Probably just like the Sanhedrin, you would deny that you were guilty of any evil, of any wickedness. Well, they had a negative reaction when came face to face to the gospel. But then what about the nation in Acts chapter 7? Why couldn't the Jews receive this message? I'll tell you why. Because Stephen gave them a history lesson regarding the nation and told them how they got to that point. He went all the way back and he presented undeniable facts regarding that nation, the people God used all along the way to get to the Christ. Then he said, your fathers persecuted and killed the prophets 
and you are no different in your generation. Now, you get down to Acts chapter 7 and verse number 54, and the Bible says, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Again, that's that Greek word, diaprio. They were cut to the heart, literally sawed in half, if you will. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Question, how would you respond if someone gave you a history lesson as to the way you have been and what you are presently. People could confront you face to face with undeniable facts. And you know what many folks would do? They would deny and reject the conclusion, just as did the nation. But then what about the Jews? Why couldn't they receive the message in Acts chapter 13, in particular verses 42 through 46? Why could they receive the message? Well, because they did not believe it. And because they did not believe it and because they were envious, they were filled with envy. They were filled with indignation that the Jewish people should be subjected to a message that not only have they denied, but that threatened to overthrow their religion. They just could not accept a message that would make the Gentiles equal with them. And most of the audience that had assembled there were Gentiles. They spoke against the doctrine that Jesus was the Messiah and that the Messiah would be humbly and lowly and despised and rejected and put to death. They contradicted the apostles and their teaching. They blasphemed the one of whom they spoke. The Jews had a negative reaction when they came face to face with the gospel. But my friends, if you continue in your New Testament, you will realize that there also were some positive reactions. Think about Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. When he came face to face with Christ himself. One thing you recognize in Saul is that Saul did not seek to justify himself as the rich ruler had done. You remember when the rich ruler came face to face with Jesus the Christ and asked him, good master, what good thing must I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him the answer. And then the man seeking to justify himself saying, you know what? I've done all these things from my youth. He sought to justify himself. Well, Saul of Tarsus didn't seek to justify himself before Christ. When he came face to face with Christ, he didn't do what the ruler did. He didn't do as Moses had did. When Moses was in that mountain, saw that bush burn and would not consume, was not consumed. And the God spoke to him through that angel. He did not do what Moses did. Moses began to make excuses. Saul of Tarsus didn't make any excuses. When he came face to face with Christ, he asked the one question that was fitting that meeting. He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What a wonderful reaction coming face to face with Christ. Lord, what will thou have me to do? What about the eunuch of Acts chapter 8, verses 27 through verse number 40? The eunuch was reading. The eunuch was willing to be guided. He was not afraid to ask for help. Once he learned that the Christ was the one to whom or of whom the prophet spoke, he was ready to do whatever he needed to do in that situation. When he heard it, he did not say, it is, a, it, is, it is not a good time, as Felix had said. You remember when Paul reasoned with Felix, 
of, of righteousness and judgments and, 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 and that judgment, or rather that judgment to come. When he reasoned with Felix in reference to that, Felix said, Paul, go your way. Well, I have a more convenient season. I'll call for thee. Well, you know what? When that eunuch heard what he needed to do and recognized to, of whom the prophet was speaking regarding Jesus the Christ, the man did not say, it's not a good time. He did not say, you almost got me like a gripper. He did not say, let me think about it. He did not say, let me talk to someone. He did not say, let's meet again next week. The man said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Because obviously when he spoke to him about Jesus, he must have told him about baptism. Because when the Bible says that he preached unto him Jesus, as they went on their way, he says, see, here is water. What does him be baptized? He said, if thou believe with all thy heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they would come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that he shall no more. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. The man answered and had the right reaction when he came face to face with the gospel. What about the jailer? In Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 34 is his story. The man asked the right question. What was the question when he heard the gospel? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? In fact, he asked the question before he heard the gospel. And you know upon hearing it, he was going to respond favorably. He did not ask, what must I feel to be saved? He did not ask, what must I experience to be saved? He did not ask, what, what must I see to be saved? He did not ask, how long should I wait to be saved? He asked, what must I do to be saved? And when he heard it, he did it. And he must have had a proper influence over his family because he did it, his family did it, and they all rejoiced. There were some positive reactions when folks came face to face with the gospel. But listen, my friends, I want you to understand and appreciate something. There must be reactions. It's necessary. There must be reactions. The reason being is that the word of God is described for us in scripture in many ways. And one of the ways in which it's described is like a glass. It's like looking through a glass, looking into a glass. We understand that as a mirror. James described it this way in James chapter one. If we begin at verse number 22, he said, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer and not a doer, he is likened to a man who beholds his face in a glass. For he beholded himself and goeth his way and forget what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Now that word looketh is a Greek word, parakupto. That is a word that means literally to stoop down. If you consider it in John chapter 20, when they ran to the temple after, her, after hearing that Jesus was no longer there and that someone had taken him and, and Jay, John and, and, and Peter ran to the temple, John went in, the Bible says he's stooping down and looking in. That's the word. You literally stoop down. What was he doing? He was taking a good look. He was taking an investigative look. And that's what you do when you approach the word of God. But whoso stoops down and looks into the word of God, it's not a glance, my friends. It's an investigation. 
You stoop down looking to the word of God. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This man shall be blessed in his deeds. Let me tell you something about the mirror that you can appreciate when you think about a mirror, when you look into one, but you need to appreciate it when you look into the mirror of God's word. The mirror does not consider your feelings. It concerns itself only with the truth in your case. The mirror does not take into account your description of yourself. It only concerns itself with the truth in your case. The mirror does not take into account how others think about you or how others feel about you or how others talk about you. It only casts a true reflection of who you are. When people come face to face with the word of God, it is like a mirror to your soul. It casts a reflection on the reality of your person and your position. When you come face to face with the word of God, my friends, you need to appreciate something. You're being confronted with something. You're being confronted with that which is breathed out by God. Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. Now, that word profitable is the Greek word aphelimas. That means it's serviceable. That means it's helpful. That means it's advantageous. Think about that. God has given us his word, and it's helpful. It's advantageous for doctrine. It'll tell you when you're right. For reproof, it'll tell you when you're not right. For correction, it'll tell you how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, it'll tell you how to stay right. That the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. My friends, that word of God is serviceable, helpful, advantageous. It's good for pointing out wherein a man is not straight. Then setting him straight and then keeping him straight. It can inform one when one is not clean. It can get him clean, and then it can keep him clean. The psalmist declares in Psalm 119 and verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's how a man can cleanse his way. Word of God will tell you when you're not clean, it'll clean you up, and then it'll keep you clean. That's the power of the word of God. My friends, that word of God, that's why there must be reactions. Oh, you're going to react to the word of God because it's like a mirror. It casts a reflection on you. And it'll tell you the truth about your situation. It'll tell you the truth about your person. It'll tell you the truth about your ways. It'll tell you the truth about your heart, about your thoughts. It will tell you the truth. When you're working, when you are dealing with the word of God, you are dealing with something that's quick and powerful. Hebrew writer in chapter 4 and verse number 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the rejoice of the mouths of the discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is living, it is energetic, it is, it is powerful, it is adapted to produce an effect. It is mighty. It will awaken one's conscience and make a sinner tremble. That's what the word of God would do. And that's exactly why, why Felix trembled, came face to face with the apostle Paul. And the Bible says he reasoned with him of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And Felix trembled. What made him tremble? He came face to face with the word of God. Told him what a wicked and intemperate man he was. Told him, how, told him about his madness. 
told him about his sin and his folly and told him that God is going to bring you to judgment for your crime. That man needs smoke together. Tremble before the apostle. That word of God, my friends, will cut all the way through and lay, lay everything open and bare and naked. In fact, when you consider the next verse in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 13, neither is there any creature which is not manifesting in sight, for all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. My friends, that word of God will get to the real truth. That word of God will get to the naked truth. All insincerity, hypocrisy, and unbelief will not go undetected as it did when it was first preached on the Pentecost after the death and burial of our Lord and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, it still, my friends, has the ability and the power that when it is preached, it will cause a reaction. That gospel confronts us face to face with the evil which we have done, as Peter did the Sanhedrin. What will you do when that message says it to your face? When it says it to you face to face, when it says that you are guilty before God, that you are a sinner. You know, Paul's conclusion, one chapter one with the Jew, with the Gentiles, and chapter two with the Jews is chapter three, when he says, All are under sin, both Jew and Gentile. All have come under sin. All are guilty before God. There's none righteous. No, not one. What are you gonna do when the gospel says that you are a sinner when you thinking you all right? Tell you what you do, you might act like the Sanhedrin. You got you might become angry with the messenger for the message. Gospel confronts us face to face with our past, just like Stephen did the nation. And how will you respond? Will you continue to trust in your own goodness? You know, sadly, some people believe that they don't need saving. Some people believe that they're all right, they don't need Christ, that they're already morally good. But Jesus sent the disciples out into the world for a reason, Mark 16, 15 and 16. Go ye therefore into all the world. Why? Because all the world needs what they have. All the world needs the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature. What? All creation needs the gospel. Why? Because, my friends, without it, there is no salvation. Without it, there is no removing those sins. Without it, there is no justification. Without it, there is no reconciliation. Without it, my friends, there is no way back to the Father. Without it, my friends, without the blood of Jesus Christ, without Christ dying for your sins, without you recognizing that you are a sinner and in need of the salvation that he brought, Romans 3, 20 through 22, then, my friends, there's no way to the Father. And if you can't get to the Father through Christ, my friends, there's no way to get to him. No way to get to him. Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse number 6 says, I am the way, truth, and the life. And no man can come unto the Father but by me. Oh, my friends, the gospel confronts us face to face, and it does it with knowledge. You're not as deep as you think you are. You know, some folks love to say how deep thinkers they are. I'm, I'm a deep thinker. Some folks tell you that. Oh, I, I'm a deep thinker. Well, you're not that deep. You see, the gospel is a simple message but it's a profound message. It's designed for all mankind. And 
you know, whether or not you think you're deep and whether or not you think that you're smarter than everyone else, you're the smartest person in the room, or whether or not you think you're on a genius level and all that, let me tell you something. You fit in one of four categories just like the rest of us. And because of those four categories, my friends, you're going to have a certain response when you come face to face with the gospel. Jesus taught it in his great message of the seed and the sower. He showed the various heart conditions and their responses to divide to a divine spiritual message of the kingdom. And you know, some folks are just like the wayside soil, so hard in sin that the word of God makes no impression on them. Some folks are just like a stone. They receive it for a joy, they receive it with joy for a little while, and but yet they have no root system. And when challenges and difficulties and trials come, they're gonna move out of the way. Some folks are just like thorns. They receive it, but the worldly affairs they deem so important become a distraction, and therefore they are never able to become productive and bear any real fruit. And then there are those who are the good soil. They receive it, they understand it, and they do it. Which one are you, deep thinker? Which one are you? You see, we all fit in one of four categories. And when you come face to face with the gospel and you've got the wrong disposition of heart and that heart is not favorable to truth, you're going to react negatively. Think about this. Know what Paul said to the Jews. Look at Acts chapter 13. Look at Acts chapter 13. And notice verse number 46. I just want to put a couple of passages together with you. Acts 13, verse number 46. Craig, are you there? Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now you remember this text. We talked about it just a little bit earlier. But I want you to understand, this is Paul's conclusion as he was dealing with those Jews. Later on, he, the Bible said they're going to shake the dust off their feet and move on and all these kind of things. He said, we turn to the Gentile. Why? You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. But why? Because they were blaspheming and contradicting the message. Why? Because they were filled with envy when they saw the whole town come out the next, the next Sabbath to hear the gospel. And because of that, they started contradicting and blaspheming. But let me tell you something. Their reaction is exactly what Jesus said it would be when he was on earth. Now look at Matthew chapter 23. Jesus has spoken this about the Jews. And here they are in Acts chapter 13 with Paul and Barnabas manifesting the exact same thing that Jesus said they would in Matthew 23, 13. Come on, read it for us, Brother Craig. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, uh -huh. hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Listen to what he say. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Listen. Jesus knew exactly how they would respond because he knew their heart condition. That heart condition responded exactly the way Jesus said. So that what Jesus said about them in Matthew 23, we see it come to fruition in Acts 
when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas was teaching, what were they doing? They were not going in themselves, and they were trying to prevent anyone else from going in. You know, one of the things our instructors used to say to us, when you go out to do a, when you go out to teach, um, you're going to do an evangelistic study, they said, try to do it one-on-one. Why? Because if you do it with a group, you know, there's always somebody there that's going to try to spoil it for everyone else. They're not going to receive it. They have no intention of receiving it. Their hearts are hard. Their, their hearts are hardened. And, and, and what they're going to do is try to prevent anyone else that's sitting there from believing and receiving that message. They're not going in themselves, and they're going to try to prevent anyone else from going in. The gospel will confront you with knowledge just when you think you know someone. Confront them with the gospel, and you may find out that you didn't know them as well as you thought. Many people have thoughts concerning themselves. But when the gospel confronts them face to face, you see a different story. Maybe you learn something about yourself. People often have talked about other people, how loving and good and fair and reasonable and understanding someone is. Then bring them face to face with the gospel and you find out that they are actually bad and spiteful and biased and unreasonable and, uncontra and contrary. You know, it's interesting. All of a sudden, you see some things in a person. You, how many people have had to learn that with their family members? Confront them with the gospel and they get ugly. The church of the Laodiceans thought one way about themselves. But when confronted face to face with the words of Christ revealed to us by John in the Revelation, it was just the opposite. What did he say in Revelation 3, 15 through 17? I know thy works, uh -huh. and that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that, that, that you were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now notice how they thought about themselves because thou sayest what? Thou sayest that we are neither cold nor hot. No, they, thou sayest I am rich, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. nothing. But how did Jesus see them? Knowest not that thou art wretched. Thou art and, wretched. And miserable. Miserable. And poor and blind and naked. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind and naked. Now that is just the opposite of the way they saw themselves. You see, you may see yourself one way, but when you come face to face with the gospel, it may tell a different story. But there will be a reaction. How will you respond, my friends, when face to face with the gospel of Jesus the Christ? Maybe you will be like Felix in Acts 24, verse number 25, when Felix said, when I have a more convenient season, I've heard it. If you've talked with anyone, if you have tried to study with people, you've probably heard that. Now's not the time. Maybe another time. Maybe like Agrippa, almost. You almost got me. Well, some people interpret that as, you know, hey, Paul, with little persuasion, you would fain to make me a Christian? Or almost, thou persuaded me to be a Christian. I'll tell you what. Here, when you listen to what Paul said, Paul says, I don't want you to be almost, but I would that you were all together. Everyone that was assembled there, all together persuaded, all together like I am, except these chains. Paul wanted them to be a Christian. Maybe you're like Agrippa. I'm close. 
but not quite. Maybe you're like Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, 6. Lord, what will thou have me to do? What a wonderful reaction when you come face to face with the gospel. Brother, just tell me what I need. Sister, just tell me what, ma'am, friend, tell me what I need to do. That's all I want to know. Boy, that's a wonderful reaction. Maybe you're like the eunuch. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The eunuch was ready. Are you? Well, your responding to the gospel is already anticipated. It's only going to be news to you when you come face to face with the gospel. My prayer is, is that you will have a favorable reaction, but you're going to have one. You're going to have one. There must need be a reaction to the gospel when you come face to face with it. The question is, what will your reaction be? The answer, it just really depends on your heart condition. So my friends, I would suggest that you start to have a disposition favorable to truth because that's what's going to confront you. And then you can be like Saul of Tarsus. Lord, what will thou have me to do? You can be like the eunuch. See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? You can ask that question just like the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the Bible will give you the answer. And you'll be with Jesus when this life is over because of the salvation that's in him. Thank you so much for your kind attention.